show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about all the headlines that have happened from the time that Amazon announced it was acquiring One Medical until closing the deal just last week. With everything that's gone on during those seven months, can traditional healthcare keep up and adjust in real time? I'll talk about that. Then I'm pleased to welcome Chris McCann, the CEO and co-founder of Current Health, the market leader in care at home services across the U.S. and U.K. Many of you know that Current Health was acquired by Best Buy in November 2021 for $400 million. Chris dives into Best Buy healthcare strategy and how care at home plays an important part in creating amazing consumer experiences in healthcare. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. When Amazon announced on February 22nd that it had closed its deal to acquire One Medical, it will face a competitive landscape that looks very different than when the deal was first announced last July. A lot's happened in the retail health ecosystem in those seven months, and it sure would be nice if someone could recap the headlines. Well, hey, I got you. Here's a list of some of the major news stories since the Amazon One Medical acquisition was first announced. In September, CVS Health announced its acquisition of health at home company Signify Health for $8 billion. Signify has a network of more than 10,000 clinicians in all 50 states and a nationwide value-based provider network. Walmart and United Health Group announced the beginning of a 10-year collaboration serving hundreds of thousands of Medicare beneficiaries in value-based arrangements through multiple Medicare Advantage plans. In October, Optum closed its $13 billion acquisition of software and data analytics firm Change Healthcare that it had announced a year earlier. Walmart Health announced the opening of 16 new locations in Florida in 2023. Walmart also announced that it would begin recruiting participants for clinical research trials in a move that puts it in direct competition with Walgreens and CVS Health, both of which have launched clinical trial units and are trying to engage with more diverse populations. Best Buy's Geek Squad announced that it's taking its talents into the home to connect remote patient monitoring devices with hospitals. They already have partnerships with NYU Langone Health, Mount Sinai Health, and Geisinger Health. In January, Amazon launched RxPass, their $5 a month Prime add-on for all you need generic drugs. OptumRx launched PriceEdge, a tool to automatically provide members the best available prescription drug price. CVS launched its virtual primary care service, a new virtual care offering that provides 24-7 on-demand primary care and scheduled mental health services. And in February, no big deal, CVS announced its $10.8 billion acquisition of Oak Street Health. And don't forget some of the quote-unquote smaller players here. For instance, Instacart launched Instacart Health, a set of partnerships, research, policy advocacy commitments, and new products to help increase nutrition security, including Care Carts, which is designed to give healthcare providers and caregivers the ability to order groceries on behalf 
of someone else. Rural health startup Homeward raised another $50 million to bring more doctors to rural areas and continue its partnerships to provide mobile health units in Rite Aid parking lots. Speaking of Rite Aid, they also announced a partnership with Google Cloud to modernize its pharmacy operations. Dollar General announced mobile health clinics at three locations in Tennessee, its first notable healthcare announcement other than leadership appointments. Kroger Health also got into the clinical trial area with their announcement of a clinical trial site network. And Albertsons launched Sincerely Health, a digital health and wellness platform that I dove deep into last week. Some of the common threads were primary care, value-based care, retail care, partnerships, and investments. But more importantly, I see organizations flexing their consumer muscles, and I ask sincerely, does this still sound like a slow-moving industry? And more importantly, is your organization able to adjust in real time? Will the innovation frameworks of historical provider organizations be able to keep up? Or will the lack of experience in consumer-centered innovation lead to an even more desperate financial situation? Because in another seven months, this game board will look nothing like it does now. To survive and even thrive, healthcare organizations must be able to innovate around consumers' needs. The time for excuses is over. Now is the time to assess your organization's consumer muscles. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, let's get into the flow. Check it out. We've been talking a lot lately about care at home and its part in consumer transformation, which is one reason I'm so excited to welcome our guest today. We're here today with Chris McCann. He's the CEO and co-founder of Current Health, the market leader in care at home services across the U.S. and U.K., Current Health was acquired by Best Buy in November 2021, as many of you know, for about $400 million. So what does that mean for consumers? Let's find out. Chris, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Thanks, Jared. Delighted to be here. What else would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? I know it's not all the company. There's a lot to you yourself. Uh, can you give us just a little bit more about who is Chris? Sure. So, I mean, I think the first thing is going to be apparent from my accent. I'm not an American. I know it's hard to tell. Um, I live in Boston now, but originally from the west coast of Scotland, um, did a degree in computer science, um, then went to medical school, and then really started Current Health because of my own personal experiences with my grandmother. She, she was like many patients who are cared for within the health system today. She had COPD and dementia and heart failure and poor eyesight, poor mobility, and was recurrently admitted to hospital for things that I felt could and should have been managed within the home it's really traumatic to put an elderly person particularly someone with dementia into into a hospital so i thought hey you know this really could have been managed more effectively in her own home environment but i think being a little bit inside the health system you see why it's structurally financially operationally really really hard to do that Stuart and I started Current Health to try and solve those problems and make it easy for healthcare organizations to deliver care at home to any population, um, whatever they are, whoever they are, regardless of um, the pathology or disease that they have, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of whether they have home internet, we want to make it easy for all of those populations to get safe, high-quality care in the home. It's amazing. This is a common thread with a lot of CEOs and other leaders and executives I'm seeing, as well as really across all layers of work in healthcare, is that there is usually 
a story that's very near and dear and personal to each of us. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, with your grandmother, what what a uh, something you can always look back to and say, this is one reason maybe why this happened. And here's what I'm going to do about it. I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of our guests have had similar reasons for, for being in healthcare. You and I were just joking before we got on the air, like that's one reason very clearly it helps us uh, stick around in healthcare and deal with all of the unpleasantries and just all the, all the challenges that, that are out there. So awesome. What a great way to set the stage for us today. Maybe we can go to Current Health itself. Can you give us a layperson's definition of it? Somebody who isn't familiar with it. What, what is Current Health all about and why it's different? What problems are you trying to solve? Yeah, of course. So the majority of our work is with health systems, hospitals, uh, pharmaceutical organizations. We aim to be their single partner to deliver all care um, that they want to outside of the four walls of their bricks and mortar facility. So regardless of whether it is a acute hospital home patient or a post-acute early discharge patient or a patient with multiple chronic conditions that you know they want to do some long-term condition management with, we seek to provide all of the technology, all of the services, and by that I mean things like logistics and supply chain and clinical support and technical support. All of the knowledge, you know, for some of our partners, they're really just embarking on their care at home journey. So a lot of our work is helping them with that operational and clinical pathway design, um, but really bringing all that together into one solution, one platform, so that they can provide care at home to any of the populations that they might choose to. And as you referenced, we were acquired by Best Buy 14, 15 months ago. You know, I think a lot of people initially thought it must have been Chris's crazy accent. There's no way he just said Best Buy. (laughs) But one of the biggest challenges in scaling a business like Current Health is that final mile into the consumer's home. It's logistics, it's supply chain, it's being able to go out into the home and support that consumer. Half of our populations don't have internet access. A fifth of them don't have smartphones. And that's the populations we most need to reach. It's where we can have the most impact. And Best Buy is world-class supply chain and logistics and and in-home support. With Geek Squad, they have 20,000 agents in every local community. And they have this world-class capability for in-home support. And we thought that was a superpower for... Um, helping hospitals and health systems who don't traditionally have that capability scale their care at home efforts. Now, the term itself, care at home, I know I benefit from hearing definitions. What all is included in that and what types of services are involved in when, when we say care at home? Sure. So I think there's a traditional definition of, I'm going to use the phrase home health, which is, you, you know, historically, and I mean over the last few decades, been kind of like an adjunct to acute care. So, you know, if you go in and get a hip replacement or whatever, you know, your physician might prescribe home health to support afterwards with activities of daily living, maybe rehabilitation. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. That, that fulfills a critically important function. But what really we're talking about here is how do you take what has traditionally been delivered within facility-based or office-based setting and how do you extend that into the home? How, how do you turn the home into a site of care in the way that the physician's office or the hospital has traditionally been. In something like hospital at home, which has really sprung up over the last 18 months after the introduction of the CMS Acute Care at Home waiver, you are literally talking about taking um, the hospital and bringing it to the home and delivering an acute-like service in the home. The thing for me ultimately is this isn't binary. It's not care in the home or care in the hospital there is always going to be a role for inpatient care. 
The question is, is there a percentage of what we deliver in patient or in office today that can be delivered in the home? And I think the answer to that resoundingly over the last two years has been yes. And I think that is already showing it costs less money, which is really important for the sustainability of our health system. Secondly, we're seeing it produce the same or better clinical and safety outcomes. But the third thing is it's better for the consumer or the patient. I mean, the, the, the patient doesn't live in the hospital. They live in the home. That's where they spend most of their life. So the ability for us to fit more of that healthcare service around their daily life is really important to their engagement with healthcare. It's really important in our understanding of their actual health on a day-to-day basis to see what it's like in their own lived environment. And ultimately, it just provides a a dramatically better experience. Why do you think this is such a good time for Care at Home to grow? Because it seems like there's a moment right now where it's not only being talked about, but it's being scaled out there. Are there new technologies that are enabling it to scale? Or maybe there's more physician education happening about what it takes? Why do you think Care at Home is is growing right now? I think it's uh, coming together of multiple different things. The first one, I think, is the greater availability of Um, a payment model to support it. It's still early days, but we have the CMS Acute Care at Home waiver, which is what has directly led to the growth of hospital at home in the US. And that model was just extended for two years within the, the omnibus bill that was passed in January. We had the introduction of fee for service reimbursement for RPM and therapeutic monitoring in the Incentives around that have have been improved steadily over the last few years. You also have a a slow but continuing shift to more value and more risk, which incentivizes more care in the home and more chronic disease management. I think that's simultaneously happening with some consumer demand shifts, probably driven by COVID. So post-COVID, it depends a bit on your market, but you know, you're seeing some hospitals where uh, utilization has not recovered after COVID, that more patients are seeking out urgent care, ambulatory surgery centers, you know, effectively easier sites of care than before. So I think there's a response from the hospitals to those consumer demands for easier access. And I don't think that's going to change. I think COVID proved to consumers that easier access was possible. And I think they're saying we're not going to go back to spending six hours in the doctor's office waiting for our appointment and having to take a day off work and having to arrange childcare and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a consumer demand push. And then I think the last thing is recognition from the hospitals. And again, this is is generalizing a little bit, but a recognition that they're going to have to innovate their delivery models if we want to provide a sustainable service into the future and if we want to compete. And I think that's also been driven by the entry of some other non-traditional organizations into the healthcare space, your Amazons and your CBS. Some of the payers becoming you know, effectively pay riders. And we see that in some of the acquisitions that people at UHC and Humana have done. So I, I think there's a competitive aspect driving it as well. Wow, so really a convergence of a lot of opportunities, it sounds like, and some evolutions of just care itself, which I imagine some of that plays into Best Buy's involvement here. We're definitely eager to, to dig in and learn more about Best Buy's healthcare strategy. What can you tell us about how they've approached healthcare up to this point? The strategy Best Buy had was one of the things that really drew me to the organization. Best Buy's point of view was that you know they've never historically had a pharmacy or a PBM or you know experience in actual healthcare delivery services. 
what Best Buy has is a, a world-class set of what I would call enabling capabilities. So supply chain, logistics, in-home support, their retail footprint and e-commerce footprint. Where they are really strong is areas that traditional providers are less strong, you know, and that's just because, you know, health systems don't need to do global supply chain. They don't need to do in-home technical support. That's not historical services they have done. So Best Buy came to the scene as an enabler, someone there to help healthcare organizations evolve and enable them to deliver these services on top of Best Buy's capabilities. And that, that really drew me to Best Buy that they weren't coming in as necessarily a disruptor. They were coming in as a way of helping organizations evolve. I think that's an important distinction. Best Buy's goal is to be able to, along the entire continuum of health and care and wellness, deliver a set of solutions that support wellness at home, aging at home, which we do through our Lively brand, which is one of the largest uh, aging in place businesses in the United States, and uh, care at home through current health. And really that all be underpinned and, and empowered by Best Buy's world-class capabilities in supply chain, logistics, retail, e-commerce, and Geek Squad. Yeah, I think those are some of the things that intrigue traditional providers are the facts that, like you said, those aren't necessarily places that traditional care happens. There's no PBM, there's no pharmacy, et cetera. There's, there's no, a lot of the pieces that have just been involved typically in a patient experience aren't there. And me personally, I'm very intrigued by that. I think there's been a natural intersection of even basic consumer electronics and the ability to offer different aspects of, of health and wellness. It's intriguing for a lot of different reasons. And I think one of those other reasons just has to do with what you touched on earlier about kind of why Care at Home is growing right now, which is the consumerization of health in general. We're, we're learning from all the different sides of the industry, including new entrants who are coming into healthcare, saying, here's the part that we can make a business out of and improve care at the end of the day. And we don't have to solve all the problems, but he, here are some of the things we can do to improve using what we've already got. You use the example of, of global supply chain. Uh, yeah, the, these are big challenges here. What's your take on the consumerization of health in general? Just, you know, we can even back that out. Maybe it has to do with care at home, maybe it doesn't. But, but in general, the trend of consumers, how I define that is consumers understanding that they have more choices for their care and whether they're actually shopping it in one way or another. I, I think that... That's very dependent on an individual's situation and their ability to feel empowered to do that. So I, I still feel like there are elements of consumerization, even if we're not talking about somebody shopping differently. But the fact that they have other choices for certain aspects of their care, that's how I would define it. And, and feeling empowered to educate themselves on some of those choices. What's your take on the consumerization of health? I think it's fundamentally a good thing, but I think it's also misunderstood. For me... The point of consumerization is really to say that the consumer, the patient, should be much more in the center of this than they are today. That accessing and using healthcare should be much easier than it is today. And there's so many different activities that are happening, some slowly, some quickly, to make that possible. I mean, even things like the pricing transparency um, rules that have come in, long way to go on that. But, but fundamentally, that's also about consumerization. It's about making it easier for the consumer to choose where they go. You know, if you have a, and I say this as the, the son of someone who has a, a complex chronic um, condition, 
trying to engage with healthcare um, when you have a, a, a rare and complex chronic condition can be really difficult. It can be really difficult to navigate and understand. For me, that this point of consumerization is about making journeys like that really easy and really simple and thinking about it from the perspective of the consumer rather than the way that we've historically thought about it, which is based on these different silos that we have, the hospital or the physician's office, and often they're, you know, paid by two completely different mechanisms and really trying to make that journey as seamless and as easy as possible. And I think that's where it's interesting that you have these consumer-orientated companies like Best Buy coming in and saying, hey, we're really good at delivering consumer experiences. Can we help partner with healthcare organizations to bring that knowledge and expertise and make it such that it's this really amazing experience for the consumer, an accessible experience for the consumer. I think that's also good for equity, actually. I, I sometimes hear people say that consumerization and health equity might be at opposing ends. And I actually don't think that's true as long as we execute it the right way. If we can make the journey easier and more accessible, I think that means that it should make it more equitable. It should mean that someone who doesn't have internet, just as a very hypothetical example, like can still get into a care at home program because we've considered that consumer journey. It should mean they have easier access, which means if they are, you know, finding it difficult to take a day off work, that actually they can still engage with their healthcare because we've considered what that journey looks like. So I, I firstly think it can be done in a way that's more equitable, not less. I think one of the things that fundamentally holds it back though is that money and it doesn't follow the patient. You know, that, that is just not the way our system's set up. And I think that is a key obstacle. While the financial models are still siloed, I think that is a true barrier to healthcare really being a seamless consumer experience. Yeah, I mean, two of the words you just used, amazing and accessible. Those aren't always words that are used to describe consumer experiences in healthcare. I think that's safe to say. So how do you, how do you educate them? Like, I guess it's a marketing or branding play here. How do you educate them? How do you let them know that, yes, not only do we have these capabilities, we have this opportunity to actually improve your experience. How do you educate consumers that this experience can be better for them now? I actually think one of the upsides from the pandemic is that I do think healthcare organizations were out of necessity forced to innovate on these experiences almost overnight. And, you know, to anyone who ever says nothing can get done quickly in healthcare, you know, the pandemic completely confounds that. I mean, almost overnight, the delivery model was reinvented out of necessity. And actually, I think we have to like bear in mind that we were able to do that and we shouldn't lose that. But I think COVID showed the consumer that better experiences, more accessible experiences are possible. I think the second thing is that the the competition in the market, I believe, is going to keep increasing. And that's from the non-traditional organizations, again, your Amazons and so on, who are going to keep trying to become more vertically integrated and own more of that like healthcare value chain, um, which may make it easier for them to innovate on that consumer experience. And that will apply more pressure. And you see the, the payers owning more of the value chain and trying to do the same thing. So I think that will increase competition in the market and force people to keep improving the experience in the journey. But I also think this is going to take time. Um, it will take time. When I moved to America and um, was looking at health insurance, and I would class myself as a sophisticated buyer just purely because I thought I understood it. It was one of the most confusing experiences of my life trying to select what was the appropriate health plan for me and my, my spouse. The point of that story is just to say there's a long way to go here. Like every every part of this needs 
improvement. And I think that focus on consumer experience is the key because it, you know, picking something as simple as health insurance, it should not be this complicated and this difficult. Well, you're right. You're right. And sometimes that insight doesn't come until we do say we, we have to flip the script and, and look at it from a consumer's point of view. And whether that's through our own lives or somebody we care about in our family, somebody we hear about, sometimes that's, that is what it takes. So I, I, I totally agree there because the other side of that is, we want to do that without adding burden to clinicians. So somebody like Current Health, how do you work with with the providers who are you know providing some of the care, and what are some of the the challenges for adoption on the provider side? Yeah, I mean it's a great point, especially right now when staffing is probably one of the largest challenges that we have in in healthcare in America right now. So for me, in any product that we're doing, there's like three three constituents, there's the patient or consumer experience, there's the clinician experience, and then there's the the business experience, you know, the, the health system's business case for doing this. And I think all three of them are critical. I think that, you know, products like ours, firstly, they should exist to make the clinician's life easier. Technology should be there as an assistive tool. It should not take up more clinical time. In fact, it should allow clinicians to spend more time on actual patient care, not less. And I don't think we've got that right today yet at all across the industry. Um, and I think that's very apparent from some of the burnout figures you see in the fact that technology is called out as a primary driver. But it should be there as an assistive tool. It should make clinicians' life easier. And in all technology companies, it's incumbent upon them to have that North Star that this should be easier for the clinician, not harder. And I think co-designing and working closely with frontline clinicians to take their views into account and make sure we build to that goal is 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 really really important you know my own my own spouse joanne is a physician and i still remember the first day she went to work as a doctor she said that the thing that stressed her out most was the technology not the patient care you know none of that it was technology and that to me that's just like a failure of technology companies in the space because it shouldn't be that stressful again that's about prioritizing that clinician experience alongside the patient experience it's about thinking about it from the actual user's perspective, not just the, the person cutting your checks perspective, because they're almost certainly not the same people in healthcare and constantly working with them. We see when you do that, you do get really good adoption. If frontline clinicians feel like they're part of the process, if they understand the clinical benefit for their patients and they understand that this is something that can be assistive to them rather than an additional burden on their already incredibly busy and stretched day, then actually they really can adopt and can become really passionate advocates. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's great that that's part of the the mission and the, the approach here because yeah, there, there's only so much adoption that can happen without taking that into account and, and communicating that their point of view has been taken into account and that we're not adding any burden. So I applaud you for that. I wonder if if you can give me a, a quick reality check here because I do love hearing about and talking about progress that we're making. I'm wondering what kind of progress we can realistically expect when it comes to care at home and just consumerization in general of health in a short-term window in like the next two or three years. Where do you see things going? I think that... The progress in this space is partly dependent on innovation and payment model. The growth of value-based care is still, you know, true value-based care is still early. You know, most healthcare is still predominantly fee-for-service. And I do think that holds back the care-at-home space. And I think it holds back, to a certain extent, 
proper consumerization. That all being said, I personally believe that the entrance of you know these non-traditional providers will increase competition and that will force more innovation. Secondly, I think that a lot of health systems in America have recognized the importance of innovation and delivery model. You know, many of our partners are leading the way in this space. I think that that demonstration by them of how successful this can be and how good it is for patients and for their clinical staff from a retention and burnout perspective and how it can improve the business of delivering healthcare, I think we'll continue this progress. And I think Medicare and the payers are, are continuing to mature in their view of how important these models are. So, you know, I don't think anything in healthcare happens overnight. Well, I mean, the pandemic slightly defied that, but in general, I don't think anything happens overnight. I think this will be a continuing evolution. I think we'll continue to see an increasing percentage of care delivered outside the hospital. I think there's a lot of work to do on the payment model. I think there's a lot of work to do on which populations most benefit from care at home and when and why and what is the you know, what's the right balance there? And there's lots of work that we're doing on that, lots of work that other companies in the space are doing that, lots of work the health systems are doing on that, and that's excellent. I think the space is going to continue to mature, but I don't think there's ever a overnight, suddenly the model switches. That's just not the way not the way this space operates, and nor do I think it should, because at the end of the day, these are patients at one of the most vulnerable moments in their lives receiving care. We should approach that in a really thoughtful way. Yeah, 100% there. Is there anything else you could share with us about where current health and best buyer headed in that? same time frame in the next six, 12 months, or even like the next couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I think we're making a long-term bet that a, a large percentage of care is going to be delivered in the home over the next decade. And we want to be the leader in making that happen. In fact, I would say we're already the leader in making that happen within our space. We want to be there for every healthcare organization as an enabler, as a partner, as a supporter to help them deliver care in the home to their acute populations, their chronic populations. We want to help them deliver an amazing consumer experience that's really easy and accessible for the patients at the end of this and something that is easy and supportive for the clinicians that doesn't add to their workload. We are there to be a partner and an enabler. We already you know, see ourselves as the market leader in this space and I hope that we can be there to help the vast majority of hospitals and health systems across America do that. I love it. I love it. Just last question for you here, Chris. What other trends are you paying attention to that we haven't talked about? Maybe they have nothing to do with healthcare. Just what's what are you keeping your eye on right now? Yeah, so normally I'm not one for things that I think could be slightly overhyped, but I have to say that the development of LLMs, but most specifically everyone will know ChatGPT, I think is is interesting. I think it's overhyped at the moment and I think there'll be a little bit of a come down from it. But I'm really interested in technologies that can help. People have historically talked about AI as being like, is it going to replace job functions? I actually think it will be more about augmenting and supporting job functions. And I think that its role in supporting clinicians, physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals to do more and to take burden and stress off them. I think we're just at the cusp of of exploring what that might be. I cast it back a little bit to when the App Store came out and the iPhone came out. I think we're possibly at a similar moment with artificial intelligence. And I actually can't believe I'm saying that because a year or two ago, I would have been the first one to say, I'm just not... I'm not yet a believer in this, but I think the last few months, 
and some of the work that's come out from OpenAI and, and others that have worked on LLMs is really, really changing the use cases and applicability of this and how close it could be to actually touching clinicians' workflow and making their lives easier. Outstanding. Well, with that, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Chris McCann from Current Health. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. Thank you.